Would you like to be able to start conversations like a pro? Take The Sunday World, your daily dose of what's going on. Do not consume The Sunday World if you're involved in a drug cartel, you're a politician with something to hide, or you've appeared on a reality TV show and care about others' opinions. Consume The Sunday World responsibly. Always read the stories, gossip, and commentary. Wow, buddy! You look healthy and happy. Veterinary surgeon and natural pet food pioneer John Burns knows the positive impact a natural diet has on our beloved pets. That's why he developed Burns Pet Nutrition. Hmm. Maybe I should try some of your pet food myself. Okay, okay. I'll start with a salad. For natural, no nasty, wholesome recipes, choose Burns Pet Nutrition. Available from veterinary clinics and all good pet shops across Ireland. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Patrick Doherty. 32 Jared Vincent Donaghy 17 John Jackie Duddy 17 Hugh Gilmore 17 Michael Kelly 17 Michael McDade 20 Kevin McElhinney 17 Bernard Barney McGuigan 41 James Jerry McKinney, 34. William McKinney, 27. William Nash, 19. James Jim Ray, 22. John Young, 17. And John Johnson, 59. Last year, the people of Derry marked the 50th anniversary of the Bloody Sunday Massacre. The brutal attack by the British Army on unarmed protesters left 14 people dead and has been a source of anger and grief in the city for over half a century. Now, for the first time, following a 30-year campaign by the victims' families, one of the soldiers involved in the killings is facing trial for the murders of two young men and the attempted murders of three more. I went to Derry recently to meet those families to visit the Museum of Free Derry and to see for myself the streets where the killing happened. In this episode, I'm talking to Kieran Shields, who acted as a lead solicitor during the Bloody Sunday Inquiry and personally represented six of the families of the deceased and four of those wounded. Shields grew up in Derry himself and has close family connections to the events of January 1972. He shows me around the tight-knit neighbourhoods where the protesters lived, takes me down the route of the march and explains in detail how the tragic scenes unfolded. I'm Nicola Tallent and you're listening to Crime World. Uh, my name's Kieran Shields. I'm a... Uh Solicitor, I'm a director in Madden and Finucane Solicitors, who are based in Belfast and 
and Derry. And I've worked there since 1998. I initially became involved through a job that I applied for in the Bloody Sunday Trust. I had been working and living in America uh, for a considerable period of time. Came back in 1997, uh, all of 1997. I'd been doing different jobs, had a, had a law degree. I wasn't successful for the position, but uh, the new inquiry, later became known as the Bloody Sunday Inquiry, the Savile Inquiry, was announced in January 1998, and I was approached by the people who I had interviewed with and said that there was a position available. Working for the families in, in, the, uh, in the context of the new inquiry, and that I would be based in Madden Finucane Solicitors, who at that time... I think represented uh, all the families and, and wounded, I think, except bar one. I interviewed for that job in uh, the end of the same week that I applied for it. I interviewed on a Saturday and um, with Peter Madden, and I got the job. I was started at 9 o'clock that Monday. It was my first case. Um, I obviously threw myself into it. Right, so this this area here would have been known as the as free, uh, you know, as free dairy, and it was all part of the no-go area. And on Bloody Sunday, there were twenty-two army barriers around, you know, the you know the entire area of the Craig and the Bogside and the Brandywell. Mm. At, the, at the time, there were the population dairy at the time there been fifty-five thousand people living within. But, the free dairy, the, the free dairy um, area. Um, I mean, there was no law and order um, uh, in the official sense, other than other than that, you know, from the locals, you know, who had their own, they had their own vigilante police force, they had their own um, citizens, advent, uh, they had their own radio station, they had their own citizens defence committee, they had their, they had, they had their own. Community essentially, and Free Dairy was born really, um, firstly in 1969 because of the attacks by the RUC on the uh, uh, on the community, and especially in, in April of 1969, there was a man called Sammy Deveni who lived in William Street, which is which was where the sort of the you know the main scenes the main scenes commenced. Uh, on, on, on Bloody Sunday, but because of what happened, Mr. Devaney, the, lo the locals barricaded the police out. Where we are now is the Craigan uh, estate, probably one of the biggest housing estates in, in Derry. Uh, and the free, the free Derry area was basically three districts that are all joined together the Bogside, the Brandywell, and the Craigan. And the, and in the Craigan in 1972, was a was a, 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 a very much a brand new estate, but it was all part of the same electoral ward. The between the Bogside and the other two districts, this this area was absolutely jammed with people. But the but the idea was that that the that the Catholics were essentially all kept under the same ward because they could they only elected so many so many uh, councillors. So back then, were they like? Was there industry? Was there jobs? Or were they the main source? The main source of industry would have been uh, the short factories and textiles. For men, there were very, there were very, very few job um, job opportunities. For women, 
mainly working as factory girls. In the 60s, the early 70s, those, in, those industries were, were, were thriving then, but there was still widespread unemployment within the city as a whole. I'm from the Craigan Estate in Derry City. The bulk of the victims are from the Craigan Estate. Uh, I tell you, there's a number from the bog side, but by far the vast majority are from Craigan. Both sets of grandparents were on the march, both parents were on the march, and all my extended family. My father, two of my uncles, and my grandfather would have been uh, considered to be very significant witnesses, you know, to the events. And they were significant witnesses who were all called to give evidence, who were the evidence, which was traumatic, um, nerve-wracking thing for your ordinary person in the street to have to come and do that. So it was good to be able to help them, but make sure that they were at least going to be treated right. The march started in, in, in that place where we doubled around, Central Drive. It came down through this area here, known as Rathlin Drive. And as, it came, and as it sort of wound its way gradually down towards the city centre, they stated and where, where they were, they were uh, marching to was the Guildhall um, in Derry. Uh, the city centre uh, of the city was generally you know, a place where lo local traders were members of the unionist community. They were concerned that, that there could be trouble after the march. Um, and that uh, premises which were becoming further, business premises which were becoming f fewer and fewer, mm -hmm. could, be, uh, could be damaged. And they, the local traders had met the Commander of Land Forces, Major General Sir Robert Ford, on the 7th of January, to voice their concerns about the amount of premises which were, which were, which were being burnt as a, as a result of rioting, and how the city centre was gradually becoming smaller and smaller and smaller as the, the, the ghetto area of the Bogside and the riots which would start there at the junction of William Street and Rosal Street, typically. Uh, the stated objective uh, uh, of the uh, march was to march to the Guildhall. And many people say if they had have just let them march to the Guildhall, the, the, the level of violence and, uh, that, that, that uh, really escalated exponentially after Bloody Sunday would would have would never have had the, the Was there the, you people know, the kind of waiting to join the march that came down this hill? It's very people. hilly. Yeah, no, but you kinda you kinda sort of know that before you start. You get used to it. Yeah, you get used to it. It's very hilly though. Yeah. But you um, mar but but were but, people joining it all the way down? All the way down. And by the time it hit the brandy well, which is where it was at least twenty thousand strong. How many started? I think like probably about ten. You know, at the time, was it surprising? Was it a lot more than was expected? It was the biggest that there had been. Yeah. It was the biggest that there had been. Um, there had been huge rallies before, um, but I mean, there was a real feeling about this this particular march, and um, and yeah, I mean, it, would, it wasn't just dairy people either. I mean, there were buses from Belfast and Newry, and uh, peeps, you know, people, civil rights members would have travelled. And and uh, and travel to attend this, you know, this march. People would talk about Bloody Sunday as an event or a commemoration march or whatever, but they never ever really talked to anyone about what they themselves actually saw on the on the day and and the things that you know things that they experienced on the day. Generally, you know, in that sense, it was a subject that was never spoken about. So, I mean, it assisted greatly that it was 
they wouldn't know the witnesses were effectively talking talking to you know one of their own, who you know, and they knew that you know that we would always try try our best for them and wouldn't allow wouldn't allow them to be abused or treated in the way that they had been treated. At least those who came forward and gave evidence and had dealings with the Woodbury Tribunal in, 18, in April '72, mm. where so that, that that helped. You were trusted, mm. and and you, and you knew the train. I mean, like the English lawyers, etc., who had to come into this area, knowing nothing about it, who would wouldn't have been comfortable walking the streets that we were walking this morning. They had to do it all by photographs and try and learn the the geography and the topography, um, the, the, you know, themselves as they went along. Of course, we could just simply walk over and see if something was right or not. So it assisted in the wind and that. Also assisted in getting barristers who weren't from Derry, any base in Belfast, getting their heads around the topography and sometimes names. Kind of two, three different, uh, to one name and two nicknames, you know, certain places. Like as we look out the window here, this is the junction of William Street and Roswell Street. The ve- like the the venue for many of the thousands of riots in this city that have taken place, nicknamed Agro Corner by the British Army. Then the Derry Young Hooligans, as the the, the the gang of them were, you know, were you know were known who were like the the semi-professional rioters in the city. They also called it Agro Corner because the British soldiers were calling it Agro Corner. And other areas like that, maybe two, three, multiple actual names for. And if you weren't from the city yourself, you'd be you'd be wondering where you know where the hell are even talking about. The march turned right and passed down here at about three thirty in the afternoon, and you can see um, uh, the city centre just up here, and you'll be able to see the guild hall, which was the stated aim, but. There were stewards at the bottom uh, of Will, uh, where William Street connects with another street called, called Roswell Street, and stewards there stood arm in arm, uh, preventing uh, the march from taking its stated route and redirecting it back up Roswell Street to Free Dairy Corner. Now, there was um, a group of approximately 300 broke their way through that barrier and proceeded on down to, to William Street and across to Little James's Street um, uh, to, uh, to riot. Now, rioting in Derry was a day and daily um, ritual. Generally, it would start at three o'clock. It was known as the matinee, um, especially the week it's Saturday matinee. Um, and that, that, that was a tradition that went right through the 70s. In this street here, in uh, Great James Street, this is where the parents were stationed, and they had been driven down to Belfast, driven down from Belfast, from Palace Barracks, uh, from early in the morning, and they proceeded down in pigs. That, 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 those are like Humber pigs, but they're armoured British Army, um, armoured personnel carriers, Bedford softskin lorries, fared armoured cars. It was essentially the support. The A, B, C, and D companies of the parachute, of the first battalion of the parachute regiment, and also support company. The support company. What does support company do well? It's, it's an, the clues in the name. It supports. It's, they're not just an infantry battalion. Or they're not just an infantry company. Rather, they're a part of the battalion that 
that that supports by the use of anti-tank, anti-expertise and anti-tank weaponry, more, the use of mortars, so with an anti-tank platoon, you had a machine gun platoon, you had a mortar platoon, and and yet you also and you also had a had a, a quite a, a large platoon of about thirty six men, generally about eighteen about eighteen men to a platoon, but there was a large platoon, it was composite platoon, was equally referred to um, as Guinness Force, which was your cooks and things like that, mainly older paratroopers, which was which was um, also involved in the latter. Uh, uh, stages of the shooting. Now, this street that we had come across here, Little James's Street, that it had a barrier number to, called Barrier 12. Now, Barrier 12, Barrier 13 at Sackville Street there, and Barrier 14 were the main barriers in terms of where, where, where the action um, actually uh, occurred. So the march came pouring down here, came pouring down this street um, here, and there were paras stationed over in this building here, which really backs on to the, uh, the general post office, the GPO. Right in this, the, the, uh, now there were many, many burnt out buildings because of the rioting that had been going on from, the, from 1969. There had been a bakery there known as Stevenson's Bakery. There were eight members of a machine gun platoon that were that were stationed within that bakery, um, the burnt out bakery uh, known as Stevenson's. They um, it was a three story building, and um, they're relevant for the first shots that were fired. When the first shots rang out, the first person to be shot in Bloody Sunday was 16 year old Damien Bubbles Donaghy. Uh, he had a contract signed, I think, with a, possibly it was Derby, but he was going to be, a, uh, he had got an apprenticeship as a professional football player in England. He was shot in the leg. Um, that was the end of his uh, professional career prospects, but he was shot in the leg. Um, he had been thrown stones at the, um, at the, at the Paris. And, uh, and where did the first shots come right, from? Right here, right here. Yeah. Fired diagonally. Bubbles, as I call him, uh, Damien, he, she, she shot in that area there. Um, so was he right at the beginning of the march then? He no, was no, right at the front? No, 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 the march had been... The march had, had already turned the corner here... To the right? To the right, and, was, and the more responsible people, the older people, mm-hmm. were, were, were making their way up towards Free Dairy Corner. They they would have been setting up the, the lorry, you know, of the speakers would have been on, on, on top of the top of the flatbed, getting ready for, you know, and, and until they felt that they had as many people up there as they were going to have. So quite a lot of people were already around the corner mm-hmm. doing, what the, doing what the stewards had asked of them. And the younger people and not so young uh, we're here to get to the guilt hall. That's the main. That's the way we're supposed to get to the guilt hall. Yeah. You know the, the, what you would expect, and stones then would have started to be thrown. Young people had made their way over here. They they were they were throwing stones. Um, they had big, had to get a couple of big sheets of corrugated iron mm-hmm. for protection from rubber bullets. And the British Army had started to fire CS gas, which is a normal thing for this area. You know, it's why you see so many people with handkerchiefs. The handkerchiefs are dipped in water and vinegar. Okay. To protect you know, people from the, from the gas. Bubbles had been shot there. John, the, the older man, he was 59. He was the, he was the oldest 
Victor Mon Bloody Sunday. He died in June. You know, it's often said, you know, he's the 14th victim. Uh, he died of his injuries. Uh, he didn't actually die of his injuries. Uh, he died of a cerebral hemorrhage. These two people were carried through the gaps in these houses and into a woman called uh, Bridget Shields' house. She's like an aunt, an aunt or something. Mm-hmm. Uh, and they were both carried into her house at 8A Conkill Court. And if we just move down here... The amount of confusion that you know that would have been happening it was just it was just hard to take in. It's the days, the days before, you know, advanced communication, no mobile phones, talk, gossip, rumor, panic rumor, maybe on telephone in the street. Who's dead? Who's not dead? Who says they saw your brother dead? Your brother walks in the, under the house, going, "Thank God, you know, I'm home." Because it had happened daily, because you had me to be wearing the same clothes as somebody else. Um, so the injured are taken in there. And, and the, the they, they go to calm kill there. court. Yeah. Yep. The rioting continues down here. And it peters out after about 20 minutes. Right. You know, there are no petrol bombs thrown. There's no nail bombs thrown. There, I mean, there are no shots fired. So that, that, that's what I'm saying. There's a minor riot. It's a minor riot by dairy standards. Yeah. They realise that they're not. They realise that they're not going to be able to drive the, the APCs through. Yes. So therefore, they have to come straight up the road and through barrier, through barrier twelve. Now, there's a concern because the rioting is, is stopping, mm-hmm. and even the rioters are getting fed up. It's freezing too. It's about January. Mm. They want to go up and they want to see what, what's going on up at the up at the, the, the marches. This is the thing that's going to hit you as you go up here. How short and small mm. an area this is. And on the left-hand side of the, uh, of the street here, you had the Roswell Flats, which was like the huge, uh, you know, nine-storey flats, like Divis Flats. Yeah. It's like a smaller version of Divis Flats in Belfast. Now, nine minutes past four, the order, Colonel Wilford gives the order. Colonel, Colonel Wilford is there? in contact mm-hmm. with Brigade, and Brigade are across the water. At the at Abington Barracks, which is the place that I showed you in the way in, where the British Army headquarters mm. were at the time, what had happened was such was the concern that the crowd were 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 were, were making their way down towards Free Dairy Court, and, 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 and you know, and riots are also in this city anyway. You've got 25 people rioting and 300 people watching them. You know, like I said, it's done, like done rubbernecking. You know what I mean? And so many of the rubberneckers have seen a hundred dairy riots. weren't too impressed by this one, and and they were and they were and they were making their way to, uh, on. But this is a concern for the soldiers because they were losing sight of the people they arrest. Colonel Wilford, he's been a former former member of the SAS who had went back into a normal regiment. Um, uh, I think there was a certain arrogance. Towards Eight Brigade, the Eight Brigade commanders, because they were seeing in Belfast their soldiers be standing with red shields and being absolutely pulverised mm. day and daily by dairy teenagers throwing stones at them, and this was an absolute mortification and an insult to the parachute regiment soldiers who were saying that would never happen to mm. us, and, and, and there was a clear distaste for the way the area is being run by the local soldiers and that had been evidenced by 
Colonel, or sorry, General Ford in his in his ratings about when he came down to see Australian Road to traders earlier in the month that he was very, very annoyed and uh, uh, disappointed in the attitude of the local commanders uh, as a more moderate city. The RUC were, were in comparison to Belfast, were more moderate. Mm. Um, there was an understanding uh, to a degree between the political and civic leaders, just human and mechateer um, and the civil rights Association and the local Catholic commander of the police. So it was softer. And, that, you know, and I think that that permeated down to Wilford from Ford. Do you want to see the way these idiots are running it in Derry? They need to be shown, you know. And I think that's that that informed the decision for but from Colonel Wilford to go in without having been ordered. He ordered his troops in two to three minutes before he got the order from Eight Brigade. That's why that's why you see the soldiers from C Company running up William Street who are not part of support. And they don't seem to really know what to do. They don't really... They don't. And yeah. The shooting's already started. Yeah. But you see Father Daly already carrying... Yeah. Uh, part of the group carrying Jackie Duddy down. He's the first to be killed. He's 17. He's 17. Mm. But that's why there's such a disconnect. For somebody who was so used to following orders, he jumped ahead. Yeah, because he saw the moment. He saw the moment passing. Right. He saw the moment passing. I, th- I think he, and it was going and to pass him by completely. Yeah, it was go- yeah. Before they brought all these fucking people down here, I'm not going to ch- get a chance to show anybody how to do anything. They don't move because now. I'm listening It'll to be this, over. this pedantic idiot yeah. who can't see what I see over in the watershed, and um, fuck him, mm. basically. There's footage actually of Lieutenant Dan firing the first shot here, and he fires it. In, in, William, in, in Chamberlain Street and that's if you see the evidence Mitchell McLaughlin Mitchell McLaughlin standing there and he says the bullet just passed his head and took a brick the brick out of that first uh, just above that first window um, and, that's, and that's when Mitchell was standing he says and the, the echo of that shot just went straight down um, uh, Chamberlain Street and under the sort of big vortex of the Roswell Flats um, so he was in position here then? Yes, he was in position here. They had they ran out of they debussed the first pig. Mm. They immediately and you'll see this on the alley telly, start pump pump but the rubber bullets, they just start start puffing smoke. And you see them being, being discharged and it discharged at anybody and everybody, Knights of Malta, old people, six people. That's what they're big up arrest operation. Got six people in the open ground. Were arrested, battened, and brought and brought towards, you know, the pigs. Well, the first person to be shot, as he's, you know, people start running through. As the fire start running through, Father Daly's running, Jackie Duddy's running, and Jackie Duddy's. Uh, I think uh, Father Daly said, you know, he could feel this kid laughing at him, you know, that no laughing at the, the, the laughing at how are you doing, laughing at laughing at the at the priests running. Uh, you know, it's quite funny. And uh, and the next thing, this is the wee boy just skidded in front of him, and then he had been shot in the shoulder, and the bullet exited his chest. That was, that was Jackie Dunn. He was shot from, from Sergeant O's pig. First shot had been down there. Um, Mitchell yeah. McLaughlin and about four or five others gave evidence about about this brick being taken out of the wall. Jackie Duddy, sorry, I just forgot one thing. Jackie Duddy's shot up here. Yeah. At the back end of this row of houses, and this is as it was, the only woman to be shot on Bloody Sunday, Peggy Deary. She was shot and very, very, very seriously wounded. She was shot through the leg and had an artery. 
or she'd just been widowed. She was 38. She had 14 children. Blew the whole back of her of her leg out. Um, and like her, 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 her hamstrings, nobody ever had. Well, she was very severely wounded. And she was carried around that corner into number 36 Chamberlain Street, which is the house uh, that, that, that we'll see at the end. And the thing about it was, like, so many of them were from Craigan, you know, I mean, Craigan was just like an open air wake. The sight of all the uh, coffins in Craigan Chapel, it's very, very dramatic. And, you know, it, 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 just, it just hit you the amount of loss, you know, you know that, that arose from it. The funerals and the pouring rain. Even the Daily Journal said that even, even, even the skies wept or something uh, was the headline. And all the while, these people were getting labelled as gunmen and bombers by people who, were, who literally weren't fit to lace their boots. New York, you know, the British Information Service, which operated from New York, it already released a report that four of the dead were on the wanted list. I never saw a wanted list before. But I mean, that, 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 was, that was one of the, the, the big headlines. And, but but what, what made it different was they'd done this in front of the media. There were so many camera crews, there was these three camera crews that, um, on the ground, ATN, two from BBC. There were amateur photographers, there were people from the print media, there were photojournalists like Gilles Perez from Magnum Photos, Fulvio Grimaldi, Bill Rukeyser, J.P. Morris, who were right in the thick of the action and who kept working under fire, you know, and managed to get some of the most dramatic and useful photographs, which we were able to, to deploy to, to devastating effect, you know, many years later. I mean, they were like, I suppose, caged animals that had been let out. They, they, they were, they were, but this, but this All is my morning for them must have been. Yeah, and they thought they were getting away. Yeah, no, they, they thought everybody was getting away. So this is as a, so this is as we walked down Chamberlain Street. Mm. We had been walking out to the three, the three blocks of the flats, and so you have Jackie, shot about here. Mm -hmm. You have got Peggy Deary, shot about here. You have Lieutenant Dan firing, firing across, firing across, yeah, from here through the, mm. through the gap to where we are there. So Jackie is shot here. Now this is exactly as it was. Number 36 Chamberlain Street is the house here at the end. At the time of the group is tending to Jackie Duddy, Peggy Deary has been shot and has been carried around this gable and into the, into the end of that living room. And she's being treated there by a local chemist, Otto Slingvine. So this was essentially the end of where you could go, was it? Well, this was, was the car park. Was there, way, was there ways out? The yeah, there was, there, was a, there was a, there was a, there was, people were trying to get out through the, the gap between blocks two and three yeah. and blocks one and two. Or you could get into the, into the stairwells of the flats. Which were packed. But it was a bit of a, I mean... A squeeze, I mean, it was a crush. Yeah. You know. And you could have gone down this way knowing they were there. Well, you couldn't go down there. Yeah. I mean, you'd be taking... I mean, you, that's where they were. That's where the danger yeah. was. Yeah. Another man called uh, Michael um, Bradley, 
he comes out and he seems to lose the head too. And he throws two, two stones in the area of Sergeant Doug's pig. And they open fire on him and he's shot through both arms and the chest. And he is taken through the gap between blocks two and three and in the house and church business. He survives. Um, he's later, he's dead now, but um, he survived. And those are the casualties. From here? From here. But mm. it hasn't really started yet. Right. You know, I mean, especially like when you see like the ambulances coming in, you ever see the footage and all the people carrying bodies in and all the Glenfellow Park victims, all those bodies being carried into Abbey Park. Three houses in Abbey Park jammed with bodies. Joseph Place, two, two, two bodies. They have wounded all the ones in the street. They were just picked off the street. 36 Chamberlain Street, so it's that tiny little house. They had over 20 arrestees, prisoners, taken from it who were then brought down to... charged for being rioters. Charged for being rioters. Of course, all the charges were all eventually dropped against everyone in August 72, but they, those people lived with the pressure of that upon them, that they were, uh, as well as being traumatised and, and, witness, and witness, witnesses of a, of a massacre. They now faced the prospect of doing six months in jail for, you know, for writing, which was the going rate, the mandatory sentence that was imposed for writing. Well, one can only take a guess at the sort of chaos and misinformation, disinformation, propaganda, you know, that was being pumped out, you know, and, 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 and exploited, even, even, even the, 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 you know, the bigger extent again, you know, by army information services and propagandists and... The, 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 the thing about it, they couldn't have shot more innocent, more innocent people. Everybody in the district knew they weren't involved. We didn't need, to, we didn't need to have an inquiry to tell us that. We knew because of, you know, the people just couldn't have been more innocent. And uh, but yet they were the people who had the shoulder to you know that problem. And I'm just glad we were able to help them. And I said he'd be over there, hadn't really got going yet. Still hadn't got going. So at now, now at this point, five dead at the barricade. Jackie Duddy dead over here, and and William Nash's father. He had had a family wedding the day before, but the, he went out to his son, who was lying dead on the barricade, and you know, and he and there's footage of him, you know, just turn right here, like that. footage of him sort of, you know, waving at the soldiers to stop shooting. Uh, with, the, with the low wall, and then he himself is shot. And he, sh he shot through the arm and he survives. Now, at this time, Michael Kelly's body's being carried through Glenfather Park. Now, EFG and Hitch form what's known as a brick. And, uh, and they have a buddy system. F and G are buddies, and E and H are buddies. Now, F comes through that gap there. Yeah. And his buddy soldier G comes through that gap there, and they take Glenfather Park as the people are running for that exit down here. Was this car park wasn't this, here? This is exactly as it was. Was, uh, was the railings here? Ah, uh, they were. Okay. Different railings, but they were there. So F is coming in like literally yeah. like a. Yeah, and soldier H came in. Behind him, firing from the hip. Mm -hmm. firing, a lot of soldiers talk about the soldier firing from the hip. And soldier H fires 22 rounds in here. Right. 
fair 19 shots at the same goal, man. He's pretty fucking suicidal. Like, every time he's fired out, he goes back to the same. But the, the story repeats itself until he gets up on the 19th round. But there's no windows broken. Right. In Glenfarrow Park. Not a single not a single one. All of the victims in Glenfarrow Park are shot right to left. Mm. There's none of them face on. It's like it's like throwing a bomb or anything. So they're running. As I said, they're running. They're running for there. Because that gap was at the time, was it gap? How many people were running through here? I think, I would say about 80. Right. And there's another 25 petrified, not moving at that, at that, at that, uh, not at that, uh, at that gable. And they become the prisoners, the, the bull riders. We've been arrested. So we've got 20 rioters hiding in the in 36 Chamberlain Street, and you've got another 22 rioters, you know, who are arrested, petrified, for, you know, afraid to move, including two priests at that gable wall. I mean, the one priest has given the five bodies out there absolution from the big gable end. You know, it's a pretty full thing. Mm. G opens fire from this end. F opens fire from this end. Joe, Joe Freel appears to be the first to be shot. He's shot through the chest, passes through um, his chest and out the other side of his chest, just beside his heart. And he manages to get through, running in the, in the Abbey Park. Now, Lord Wilshire concluded that, that's another thing, concluded that all the people who were killed were killed in Glenfather Park. Two people were actually killed through this gap in Abbey Park. That was Jared Donaghy and Jared McKinney by Soldier G. Mm-hmm. And again, we know that because, unfortunately for Soldier G, Soldier G's bullet was found in Jared Donaghy's spine. It never passed through. But Soldier G never admits shooting anybody in Abbey Park. Just the way Soldier F in his first four statements never admitted the opening fire on the barricade. Not one round. But his first victim shot dead on the barricade. And he fires 13 shots. And every shot he has at a particular gunman or bomber, or two shots at a gunman or bomber, and they're very, um, uh, an apple pie order. Um, and, and this presents a difficulty because on the 19th of February, forensic reports obtained from the first forensic science laboratory tying F to the shooting of Michael Kelly. And the, but the, the difficulty is because the press has photographed Michael Kelly where he's, where he's very clearly shot and where he's been carried to. So how, so, so, so what then of Soldier F's accounts? Well, Soldier F had then ha- remembered that he didn't just shoot Michael Kelly. In fact, he shot another four people as well who he'd forgotten about. And he, but he still expended, expended the same amount of rounds. So he had to reorder all his shots. And hence the reason why the families did not get the statements from the Wizardry Inquiry, because his earlier statements, they're all lies. Mm. All of these statements are lies, because, mm. I mean, the person that he now remembers firing, the seven, unarmed 17-year-old who shot at the rubble, bar, at the rubble barcade, Megan Kelly, who clearly had nothing in his hands, has, is throwing in the act of throwing a lit nail bomb. Now, if that happened, why didn't, why didn't F... Um, why didn't they say it happened? Because it would have been an, an entirely lawful act to shoot him dead. He was carrying a, it, it would have been within the yellow card. It's not because it didn't happen. Mm-hmm. It was all lies. But that's when it all really started to badly unravel. 
when 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 the forensic science findings went out, tying with such a small number of them to specific murders. Now, soldier F shoots Joe Friel. Another soldier who we don't know, but it's one of the four, shoots Michael Quinn in the face. And he's he was a seventeen-year-old grammar school student at Combs College. Later became a very, very successful banker in Dublin. Um, and he was shot through the face and the butt went out his nose. And he managed to get through that gap. Also very, very badly wounded. Michael actually was up from Dublin at the soldier ref hearing there. Um, yeah. They, you know, he could go to them all now like he's retired. And I, I mean, I have photographs of Michael um, in Glenfarra Park. In fact, I have one here. This is Michael Kelly's body being carried through Glenfarra Park. The soldiers are just about to come through. That's Michael Quinn standing, quite inoffensively, mm-hmm. at where these slats are here on the side of the road. And this is Jim Ray. And what about a, this child here? His name's Gregory Wilde. I w- went to Germany and got a witness statement from him. <laughs> he just died. And he was a very, very important witness. Um, these people, yeah, this, this is for the gas. Mm. But this is Jim Ray, who's just about to be murdered by Soldier G. And he he shot at right at the corner of um, the two curb stones down at down at the bottom here. But again, you can see his hands. You know, he looks he, like he's trying to call the child to get the child, doesn't he? Yeah, just come the other direction or something. But whatever he's doing. He's not armed. No. No. Now there's only one person shot at this side of the this side of the car park, and that's a man called Patsy O'Donnell. He shot through the, the, the shoulder. He's one of those arrested. But Joe Mahan is alive. Joe Mahan is alive. Mm-hmm. And he pretends to. He could see the feet coming towards him. A soldier with the albino hair. Jesus. And the gas mask pulled up. Now there was a, a witness, you know, he became a teacher, he was hiding in a bin. A 15 year old child at mm. the time, he was hiding in a bin. And there was an old lady up there at that, at that, at that walkway. And she could see that Joe Mahan was alive. And she, she says, Sean, son, pretend you're dead, son. And your, your man was there and he seen the, the, like the, feet. the, the feet. Who's the albino hair? Soldier G. Was he an albino? I know. Uh, very blonde hair. Very blonde hair. Jim Ray, unfortunately, after having been shot, raised himself up and he put another two browns in his back at point blank range. You can see there's bullet holes. Here. I made you this morning, but also made you more determined to get to the truth because at the time you were sitting thinking, um, oh, what a task, you know, we're taking on here. It was me, not the responsibility, I'm taking on, I better not mess this up. There were times I felt overwhelmed, but I mean, it was never something that I was going to work through. One of the biggest tasks, the most laborious tasks, were, you know, was the, were the closing submissions. I mean, that was just. With eight, ten weeks of hell, 
you know, draft after draft after you know, submissions. And, I mean, our closing, our closing submissions were very, very good and, and they've been largely adopted as the inquiry's findings. But it was that, it was that, that task in particular, uh, I would say, if any of them were overwhelming, it was that, you know, it was that. Most of the other things, the important things I did, like, for example, like preparing soldier F's cross-examinations, etc., they were big tasks, but, you you know, you threw, them, you threw yourself into it. And I wouldn't say it was enjoyable work, but it was hugely rewarding. And, you know, really rewarding when you've seen um, the effect of it come June 2010. That was a, a, a momentous day. I don't think there'll ever be a case like it again. You know, it was epic. What you were dealing with, it's, uh, you have to remember, because like a law, as a young lawyer dealing with his first case, you've been round, they've had you round the place. It's about the size of two football pitches put together. It didn't kick off until approximately 10 past four. By half four, it was all over. And what, what you were dealing with here was a, was a mass murder scene, but the, the size, approximately the size of two football pitches. And which the British Army's commander of land forces and the OUC's assistant chief constable were in close, were in close attendance. And the perpetrators were allowed and facilitated to get away by justifying their actions on the activities and the presence of the innocent victims whom they shot. And it was an obscene, it was an, it was an obscenity that needed to be that needed to be uh, to be put right. It was also very, very enraging at times to see particular particular acts of cruelty or, or human indifference. But also, to, you know, as a lawyer, to see how badly the the and how badly the how badly the families were treated and how badly their faith and their their their, their good nature and their trust was abused by Lord Widgery and the inquiry that he set up at the behest of Ted Heath and Lord Carrington. You reminded Lord Widgery that we were fighting a, not just a propaganda war, not just a military war in Northern Ireland, but a, but a propaganda war also. That inquiry of 1972, which was set up to, to investigate a matter of urgent public importance, was not just substantively corrupt, it was procedurally grossly unfair because of the non-disclosure of material that the families really was their entitlement and it was their right to have and to deploy against certain witnesses when one knew that they were not telling the truth. When you were confronted with that, it just made you knuckle down, knuckle down. I'm not saying that there weren't times you were saying, well, I've had enough of this, you know, that there were. But you always come back to it like a day or two later and just say, uh, like, you know, right, I have to knuckle down, I have to get this done, I have to get, to get this job over. And at times you thought this was never going to end. They still rounded up the prisoners after with the bodies down on the ground and everything. Well, they went over and shot four people, then other four yeah. people. Right. Across the street. With the prisoners right in front of them. Mm. But this is my granddad carrying Jim Ray, who was executed here at his feet, into these houses. That's my other uncle carrying Willie McKinney, who's just behind. And you'll also see Joe Mahan, um, you know, coming in. And this is the man, Jerry McKinney, who they think has taken a heart attack and is being, is, you know, is being treated for suspected heart failure on these, on these low steps here. 
now. F then murders these people from this lamppost across the street. But I'm going to take you into the museum here now. So okay. we're at, the, at the door of it. Today, the day itself was. Uh, it'll stay with me for all, my, all, all of my days. We had to be inside the Guildhall Chamber. I haven't been searched, haven't been through security, the airport type security, haven't we went through all that. We had to be at our seats, which, and we had like, the Guildhall Chamber was just full of tables and chairs for the families and the wounded, which were not due, who were not due to come in until 9.30. So we had, two, we had a two hour private read of the content of the, of the report which itself ran thousands and thousands of pages. So we had two hours to assimilate that, that information and be able to advise families about it. And that was a hell of a task. But, you know, but we got it done. Like, you know, we, 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 like, there was a lot of jumping to conclusions and then a particular conclusion seemed absolutely brilliant. You know, you might go to where it was referred to then and within the main body of the report. And also, um, there were, you know, there were, there were a few things on there which were bad results for us. But overall, the uh, experience was hugely rewarding, hugely satisfying, huge responsibility. The clients had no longer just been clients, and you know the, we became we had become friends, friends you know to this day. They were an honour to represent. Now <laughs> they were not a volunteer group of people. They're people who were thrown together by. Circumstance and, 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 and you know, and try very, very tragic and terrible, th- you know, a terrible thing that, you know, that that, that, that that was done to them and and uh, be part of something where you write it, you write it a big wrong for, for, your, for your people. You know, I, I wouldn't change it for the world. You've been listening to Crime World, a podcast from sundayworld.com. Produced by Ian Mullaney and edited by me, Nicola Talent. Research assistant is Claude Amini. If you like this show and love true crime, leave us a review. Or why not download the free sundayworld.com app for lots more stories from Ireland and across the globe. like to be able to start conversations like a pro? Take The Sunday World, your daily dose of what's going on. Do not consume The Sunday World if you're involved in a drug cartel, you're a politician with something to hide, or you've appeared on a reality TV show and care about others' opinions. Consume The Sunday World responsibly. Always read the stories, gossip, and commentary.